listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Typically the confetti settles and is swept up from the final championship game, and then bam, the league disappears until April. Those are the words of our guest Sue Favor, and she's talking about the WNBA and one of the biggest problems it faces in its quest to grow and thrive. Backing up a moment, this is Aaron Fishman. Thanks for tuning in to our special WNBA episode. Our guest brings four decades of women's basketball fandom to the show. Sue Favor began writing about the sport in 2008 when she started the They're Playing Basketball blog. In 2015, she founded womenshoopsworld.com where she also continues to write. An avid runner, Sue has briskly moved her feet around 126 cities throughout the North American continent. In addition to diagnosing the health of the league, Sue talks about the on-court product, including how the Sparks and Lynx match up, and who the top MVP contenders are this season. Here we go. Sue Favor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to have you. So we're called On the NBA Beat. This will be a little On the WNBA Beat. As we're approaching 100 episodes, we haven't yet done a WNBA episode, and I've wanted to for a long time. I think it's really good timing with the offseason. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. You're here in Los Angeles, and Chelsea Gray is having a phenomenal season. She's shown a lot of growth since last year with Christy Tolliver gone, who's with the Sparks for seven seasons. Chelsea Gray has just been tremendous. Explain what parts of her game you've seen the most improvement to. Boy, I think, you know, I think you guys, I think it starts with her confidence level. For whatever reason, you know, she just really came into her own at the end of last season in particular. And it's really nothing we didn't see her do in college. You know, she was such a tremendous player in college. But then she had that ACL tear at the very end of her senior year. And so, you know, you had to, she had to recover from that one. But, um, you know, she's just been tremendous. She's fearless. She's one of those players who does whatever it takes. I guess that's what's impressed me most in the last two weeks, especially. She'll just, she drives to the wreck. She's been consistent on putting up points. Overall, you know, she's just been really consistent. And I think that's kind of what stands out most for me right now. She's third in scoring on the team after Neko Gumake and Candace Parker at 14.8 points per game at this moment. You know, that's just a really tremendous output for her and an improvement. Yeah, if you look at the statistics, the improvement is really immense. Her minutes have nearly doubled. Her points are way up. And I'm wondering, was this kind of growth expected? Do you think that that played a large role in why they were comfortable letting Tolliver leave? Because as I alluded to before, Christy Tolliver was such a big part of their team that went to the WNBA Finals and won last season? You know, I I don't know, Aaron. I would never try to act like I know what the Los Angeles Sparks were feeling as far as using the word comfortable and letting her go. I don't think it's anything they did, but she just opted, Mm -hmm. Chrissy just opted to sign somewhere else because of money. Yeah. 
But Chelsea has done a great job of stepping up and stepping into that starting role. And, you know, you just watch her play now and you just can't imagine her being anything else, really. I mean, she just, she's also vocal on the court as well. So just overall, just a huge, huge confidence and outpouring of skills boost, you know? Yeah, she's almost shooting 50% from three, which is huge, especially when you're getting 40 plus percent shooting from Tolliver from three point range. And last I checked, she was fifth in the league in minutes per game. We talked about this before the show, and you didn't agree with my wording of Candace Parker passing the baton to Neka Gumake. I think it's a really interesting discussion because Candace Parker, of course, is a multi time MVP and she won finals MVP last year. Just a tremendous player, only 31 years old. But Neka Gumake is a rising star, was the league MVP last year, turning in another spectacular season. They're kind of different types of leaders. What's the dynamic between the two of them? And why would you say that a baton hasn't been passed yet? Well, both of them are just such good players. Both of them are, are fully equal. First of all, Aaron, to address your first question, it seems like the minute a player turns 30, everybody's asking her what, you know, when she's going to retire or whatever. Even Candace herself got that question a few weeks ago, and she was saying, whoa, 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 why are you asking me this right now? She's still one of the best players in the world. She can take over a game, and she's actually done that several times the last month especially. She's at the top of the league in statistics right now, and um, I don't see her slowing down at all, really. So I guess that's why I wouldn't even say that she's trying to pass the baton to anybody right now. She and NECA are friends off the court, and they work really well together on the court. They communicate a lot on the court. They're interchangeable. If somebody, if one of them's having a, a slightly off game, the other one steps up. They both work together in tandem really well. They just really work well. NECA is used to being a leader, and we saw a lot of that last year when she was uh, the league MVP. She's the oldest child. I'm the oldest child. I totally understand. She used to take care of Shanae Gwomake on court and off court when they played at Stanford. She would pick her up and smooth out her hair and do all this stuff. And you see uh, Candace and Neka do that on the court. It's funny because Candace is a mother in real life. So Candace will be running over to somebody who's injured and, and leaning over and standing there and talking to them and da-da-da-da-da and making sure they're okay. And uh, last Friday during the New York Liberty game, Neka picked up Odyssey Sims and then smoothed her hair down because it was all ruffled up. So I just see them as the twin court caretakers of both the ball and the team. That sounds like a good problem to have two leaders of such immense ability. It's been fun to watch both of them grow. Yes. I remember when when NECA first came into the league, they were running almost no plays for her. And the way she would get her points was just from that tenacity on the offensive glass, just getting offensive rebounds. All the plays were pretty much run for Candace Parker or another teammate that was more adept at scoring early on. But Neck has really expanded her game. She's expanded her range. And I think that early on, Candace Parker kind of got a lot of the attention. She's very good, obviously. But also, she's more of a flashy player. I think Ogumike is more of a put my head down and get things done. It's changing, though, slowly in terms of the number of shots. This is interesting. I looked this up. Last season, when Agumake won league MVP, Parker was still taking more shots than her. And this year, it's evened out. So uh, now they both attempt about the same number of shots per game. But 
Yeah, it's it's got to be fun there with the Sparks to see these two play on a, a game-to-game basis. And they're both in the top five of the MVP conversation, maybe even top three, right? Yeah, I, I would say at least top five at the very least. They're just two completely different types of players, Aaron. You know, you could argue Candace is a finesse player, but she's she's so multi-skilled. She, as you know, she's She's crazy on assists. She, as a forward, she averages 4.5 assists per game in the top seven, I believe, last time I checked in the league. No other forward is doing that. Then you've got NECA, who's, you know, just a hard gunner under the basket. She'll muscle up anything. She's ripped down any rebound. I mean, that is a nice problem to have when you have two players with different styles who are willing to do whatever it takes and their styles kind of all complement each other, like what one has, the other one doesn't. And so, they're a real lethal combination, and, and I've heard many teams say that they are so hard to guard because of that, you know? It's like you take away yeah. one thing, and then you've got another thing to worry about. Yeah, I can imagine. A couple of weeks ago, when they beat the Stars, Parker became the sixth WNBA player to notch a triple-double. She had 11 mm-hmm. points, 17 rebounds, 11 assists. Yeah. And she just she's capable of doing that. I was talking about this earlier when... Plays weren't being run for Agumake as much. Part of that is also because Parker is such a skilled ball handler. She's like a point forward. And so it would be easier for her to get her shots because often she would dribble the ball up the court and she can create for others. Agumake is an underrated passer, but obviously not to the extent of Candace Parker. And then in that MVP season, Agumake showed that she could shoot the three now too. So they have these two players who threaten to score from all over the place, and it's daunting for opponents. But still, there's the Minnesota Lynx. They're so dominant. 21-3 and now is their record. Last year, in order to get that championship, the Sparks had to get past the Lynx, and it looks like it's shaping up to be the exact same way. With them getting ready to face off on Friday night, how do you think the two teams match up? Well, actually, Aaron, I think as I see it, um, and I have put this out on social media too, so if, if those who follow me, it's no no news there for you. But um, I see it as a three-team race right now between the Lynx, the Sparks, and the Connecticut Sun, who are absolutely on fire this season and have risen to levels that no one ever anticipated, probably not even the players themselves. And so as far as Friday's game, boy, that's just, you know, you just never know when the Sparks and the Lynx play each other, what exactly is going to happen? You just really never know. Last year, you know, for instance, when the the Lynx came to Staples Center for the first time in June, handed the Sparks their first loss, the Sparks turned right around, went to Minnesota five days later and handed them their first loss. You just don't know. They've had close games. They've blown each other out. I mean, I just don't even know what's going to happen Friday, to be honest. But watch out for that sun. They are sneaking in, and they might just come in and do something. We just don't know yet. The 2016 season was epic for so many reasons. The 20th anniversary season for the WNBA and saw increases in attendance and a lot of other promising areas. One thing that was especially exciting was how the finals ended. The Lynx and Sparks went the full five games. Game five went down to the final minute, final second even. It could happen again along the similar lines, even if it's not the Sparks and the Lynx. There's there's a lot of good teams around. I know you mentioned the Sun. But I'm more interested, Friday I'm excited about, but I'm more interested in how these teams would match up in a series. 
on paper, I know the Lynx have a big rebounding advantage over the Sparks. Between these two teams, there are so many good players. Sylvia Fowles, Maya Moore, the Sparks two stars that we already mentioned. Do you think that they're pretty evenly matched? Or given how the records are looking, would the Lynx be heavily favored if the two were to match up in the playoffs? It's kind of hard to tell right now, Aaron, because Lindsay Whalen is out for an undetermined period of time with that finger breakage. So without her, they're a completely different team, as we saw on Sunday when the Indiana Fever upset them. The Sparks are healthy right now, but that could change in a minute because, you know, the WNBA roster is only 12 players per team. So when you lose one person, it has a huge ripple effect, more so than in the men's professional league when they have more players. So the Sun also have an injury to contend with. Starter Jasmine Thomas is out as well. Right now, of the three top teams in the league, the Sparks are definitely the most healthy. So I guess Sparks fans can just, you know, pray that they stay healthy because injuries really play a major part, right? Especially right now when every single game counts like 10 times over, you know? As you mentioned, Lindsey Whalen went down with an injury last Thursday, and that led to them losing their first game without her, just their third loss this season. How big of an impact over the course of this season do you think that injury will have for the Lynx and do you think that will put their season dominance in question? You know Lauren it just might. I was discussing this with a media colleague after that game on Sunday and Maya Moore gets a lot of credit. Simone Augustus gets a lot of credit. Sylvia Fowles and all rightfully so but man Lindsay Whalen is is the head of that team. She's the point guard things run through her. So to discount her absence is to make a huge mistake because, you know, if they don't have her, that's a huge loss. So they're going to have to figure out a way to contend with that and succeed in spite of it. Head coach Cheryl Reeve said that obviously they need Renee Montgomery to step up in her stead. I mean, she can't completely replace the contributions of Waylon, but what do you think they can get out of Montgomery that'll help them Well, that's funny you mentioned that. I'm right here. I'm online at the same time we're talking, and the Minnesota Lynx have just posted on their Twitter about the Lynx are confident in Renee Montgomery and Jones to be stepping up. So they do have a lot of confidence on Montgomery. She's shown up before in clutch moments, and uh, she's an experienced player. She knows what to do out there. And she's also been with them for some time now. So I would imagine they would probably be pretty confident in her. Not to say that the loss of Whalen isn't big, but if, if they're going to have a chance, then, then it's going to be with Montgomery for sure. Right. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, this MVP race this season is shaping up to be really interesting. A lot of contenders for the prize, especially considering that some of the perennial candidates, Brittany Griner and Elena Deladon, are sidelined with injuries. Currently, as it stands, how would you handicap that race? I know previously you said probably both Agumake and Parker are in the top five. How would you round that out? Oh, man. for You said for MVP? Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Injuries have, have really hit the league hard this last month, haven't they? First we had Griner, yeah. now we have Deladon. Yo, I don't know. It's it's pretty wide open right now. Candace Parker's joined the conversation, you know, with her stellar play, especially after that triple-double. I don't know if Ogwumike has really been in the conversation that much this year as much as the others. You know, it's kind of, it really is kind of a wide open race right now for MVP. There's just still a lot of games left to play, really. It's about almost a full month of games left to play. So, man, as we all know, anything can happen. That's a, a month in this league is like two months, you know, right. in another league. So it's, it's pretty early to tell. I don't know, but 
Obviously, the Grinder's injury kind of took her out of the running for MVP. Probably Deladon has missed so many games at this point, she wouldn't be in it either. So it's probably going to be not them. <laughs> right. Sylvia Fowles, especially if the Lynx yeah. are able to stay off the injury to Waylon and stay afloat. She's for putting sure. up um, tremendous numbers. Yeah. Maya Moore is always in the conversation, maybe a little bit less so this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she Maya Moore got off to a slow start this season, and that's the only reason she's probably not in the conversation. But um, yeah, you have, you know, Sylvia Fowles, Tina Charles has been having a really stellar season. Brianna Stewart with her tying the record with 20 plus point games. Those three probably, I would say, are the top three con- you know conversation pieces right now with Candace Parker kind of sneaking up in there. Returning to talking about Neko Ogumake, but now off the court, she took over the role of Players Union president this season after the retirement of Tamika Ketchings, who had held that role since 2004. Mm -hmm. So far in that role and during her career in general, she's been very outspoken. She's been an advocate for social issues and also for expanding the WNBA and the impact of the women's game worldwide. How do you see the difference in how she's approaching her role as Players Union president, the difference between her and Tamika Ketchings, who was there for just so long beforehand? Well, that's a good question, Lauren. I I honestly don't know. I have not been keeping track on what, I'll be honest, you know, on what Neck has been doing in that role. I guess I just find it interesting that two of the nicest players to ever play in the league ended up as the union president in both cases. I guess I'm just amused by that, but I think it's pretty cool of Neka to jump into that spot. That's uh, not an easy spot to fill, and uh, if there's anybody who can do it, it's her. She truly embodies the Stanford principles, you know, just as being hecka smart. I just interviewed her the other night and told her that just in being very smart, very on top of the issues, very on top of everything. So, man, if I was a player, I would be ecstatic that she was in the in the lead position there. There was recently a New York Times profile on NECA and her role as union president. And what I was reading, I thought that fits exactly with the Wumake that I've met and talked with. Mm. There were players quoted that were lauding her leadership ability. But the thing that caught my eye the most was that Catchings reportedly in 2012, when Ogumake was a rookie, invited her to go to meetings and take notes. And she wouldn't say anything. She would just listen very closely, do her homework. And she's been going ever since. She was there the last time they negotiated the collective bargaining agreement. So up until the point where she took on this role, she really did her homework. And as you said, she's very smart, eloquent, well-spoken. And she's doing a great job fighting for players and causes that she feels are really important. And I think that just goes with the climate of of the times that we're in right now with increasing social media platforms and players feeling like if they have something that's important to them, they should just say it. Well, as of last year, for sure, you know, we saw the uh, players embrace the Black Lives Matter movement. We definitely have seen the league step into the, you know, social advocacy realm and the activist realm. And I think it's pretty cool myself. You know, I'm, I'm impressed that people have taken the position of stating what they think and trying to make a change, trying to make a difference. So I got to respect that. Yeah. Since the inception of the league, I think, you know, these players have always been role models for women and girls. But now especially, it seems like there's been a groundswell for activism. Last year, the entire Indiana Fever team kneeled during the national anthem before a playoff game. 
There are countless other examples of activism throughout the league. What do you think about the climate around the league makes that possible for them? Oh, geez. How real do you guys want me to get? (laughs) Pretty real. If you can, whatever you're comfortable doing. Colin Kaepernick has been blackballed in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think probably because there's less money and that people, some people still think they need to use kid gloves with women that the WNBA players can say and do what they want. But if there was, you know, more money or whatever involved, maybe there would be limits. I don't know. You don't see the same thing happening in the NBA that you do in the NFL. So maybe it's just an NFL thing. I don't understand the politics like that. But um, I don't know. I think probably there's a level of sexism involved. Like, oh, you know, just let them do what they want. Of course, they're going to say something and da 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 and, and all this stuff. And then also, there's not a lot of money to hold people hostage with like there is with the Colin Kaepernick situation. In some way, they get kind of an amnesty, if you know what I'm saying, to be able to say and do what they want. But, hey, that's cool because get out there. Like, well, look at Leisha Clarendon who plays for Atlanta. She's not right. afraid to speak up at all, and I'm delighted by it. So if that's the way people want to play, why not jump in? I would if I was them. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you brought up that I hadn't really considered before, that they aren't necessarily beholden to sponsors and advertisers in the same way that the NFL is in terms of their blackballing mm-hmm. of Colin Kaepernick. But it, at the same time, like the similar things you've seen in the NBA have not been met with disdain. I, when LeBron James had his whole team wear oh, yeah. the I, I Can't Breathe shirts in support of Eric Garner. Things like this, I think, are generally just more accepted in basketball world. Mark Cuban just put out a statement that said he said that Colin Kaepernick would be supported if he played in well, the NBA. You know, that's a great example, Lauren. I you gotta I love Mark Cuban and he has never um he's always been no holes barred on his opinion too. That's a great example. So yeah, probably maybe basketball does seem to be a little bit more accepting for whatever reason. Yeah, and the I mean the WNBA too, especially I like how you brought up Laisha Clarendon, who came out saying that she identifies as non cisgender. There are other examples of players around the league coming out mm-hmm. as gay and openly so. So that's good for visibility and working as role models as well. Yeah, I've definitely been um, pleasantly surprised this year. It's uh, at the number of, it's not that closet doors are opening, it's that basically it seems like the closets are burning down. Like, And it's just stars like Elena Deladon, I believe, was the first one. And then we had Penny Taylor and Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird. You know, Leisha was pretty much, that was last year, but it just seems like people are not afraid to be and show who they are right now, and that's pretty cool. People shouldn't have to hide who they are, you know, whatever, in, in any kind of way, so I I really appreciate that they feel comfortable that they can they can do that now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's cool and exciting. You talked about all these stars now coming out really over the last couple of years. Is it just from your perspective, even though it might be hard to know, the increased transparency in the social media age, is that what it seems like in large part? Boy, that's hard to tell, Aaron. It's probably a couple things in my humble opinion. One, I think that there was a perception, rightly or wrongly, for a few years there that the league was suppressing or refusing to acknowledge the existence of like gay and lesbian fans when there was quite a few gay and lesbian fans. And remember a few years ago when they they started doing pride nights and pride months and all this stuff. That was a huge deal. I remember when they unveiled that a few years ago. So I think it was partially that it was kind of the outflow of that people just got comfortable. And then 
just as the political climate in this country has intensified like a freaking microwave oven, I think people are <laughs> reacting to that. And, you know, whenever there's a whenever there's a movement one way, there's going to be a backlash the other way. So if the movement is towards conservatism, this might be part of the backlash the other way. People, you know, rightly or wrongly are saying, well, screw this. So I think it's probably a little bit of both, in my opinion. Yeah, the Pride Night that you referenced that has been going on throughout the league, it started a little bit slowly, and sometimes the teams wouldn't fully own it. They would call it Diversity Night or something <laughs> like that. They didn't. Want, I remember that they were kind of like dipping yeah. their toe in a little bit into the into the water, and players. I think a lot of them open, I know a lot of them openly said that they didn't appreciate that. And then they did appreciate when the league fully embraced Pride and started having those nights officially named Pride Night. On this topic, Candace Wiggins had some interesting comments a couple, was it a year or so ago? I think. No, actually, it was just this past spring, actually. Okay. Right before. camp opened, I believe. Yeah, and she had been in the league for a while, and she claimed, and and these claims have definitely not been substantiated, that 98% of the league was gay and that she was bullied for her heterosexuality. I thought Ogumike, as the union president, handled that perfectly. She gave a diplomatic statement that both acknowledged Wiggins' concerns. You'd never want any player in your league to be bullied, while also standing up for diversity and pushing back on the notion that anyone would be persecuted for their sexuality, but saying if they did, that that's wrong. So I thought that was great. But what was your take on Wiggins's comments when she made it? it? It seemed like it did the league no favors by exaggerating. First of all, it's not a bad thing that players are gay at all, of course, but 98% a lot of outlets that never even covered the WNBA just ran with it and were posting these attention-grabbing headlines to get clicks when they don't even cover the league as it is normally. Yeah, you know what, um, Aaron and Lauren, I, that that whole piece and all the aftermath of it, I, I, her coming out, Wiggins coming out and saying all that, I think confused and mystified most players and fans. No idea why she did it. Uh, I had spoken to her last summer and she didn't mention anything like that, didn't say one thing to allude to her feeling like that. The conclusion, you know, amongst the social media sphere is that, quote unquote, that's your experience, that's your experience. And then the purpose for doing it would be, well, I'm not sure what, but it didn't seem to serve any purpose. From everything that I've observed from being around the league for 21 years, it's been actually quite the opposite. Players, by and large, get along just fine. if. Anybody does have a beef with anybody else, it sure as heck isn't because of sexuality. It's probably because of something else. But, yeah, players generally don't care at all. So not really sure what that was all about. And it was just really unfortunate that she chose to take that kind of a stance. It was pretty unnecessary. So switching gears now, the WNBA just celebrated its 20th anniversary last season. And that season, as we spoke about before, had the best attendance in the last five years. It made a lot of inroads in terms of marketing and in social media, TV. This season of NBA Live by EA Sports will feature the first ever full roster of WNBA players and teams. That's the first time in a video game that that's been the case. So 
my question is just, what do you think of the current state of the WNBA and the challenges it still has in terms of growth and competing for attention? Well, I've written a couple of things about this over the last couple of years, guys, as you're probably aware of, as far as um, what the league could be doing better to market themselves. We're kind of at a crucial point right now where attendance has fallen a little bit this year after being good last year. And it just seems like the league is flatlining and pretty much seeing static growth. People want to expand the teams, expand the rosters, but it's not really possible unless more money's coming in. And so I will just say that I guess I still stand by what I've written before. The, the league needs to do a better job of marketing themselves, both in the off-season and during the season. They need to better the relationships between the teams and the league and fans. These are just two two points. And just generally, you know, just try to tighten up their business practices a little bit and just really try to get the, the word out there because it just doesn't happen. And the increased visibility just isn't happening right now. I do see that they're trying, but I think some more collective efforts would help everybody across the board. And I, I think it's interesting to see also, and it speaks to what you were saying about the marketing efforts that the WNBA has been doing, that a lot of these stars that we've seen do get a lot of attention while they're in college. I think that they're marketed pretty well, at least leading up to the tournament in college. And a lot of the time that doesn't seem to carry over when they turn pro. Uh, I know last year, rookie Brianna Stewart led the league in jersey sales. And a lot of that may have been because she had such a fan base in college. Why do you think there is that disconnect? Boy, that's an awesome question, Lauren. Um, Without being a sociologist, you know, <laughs> I would guess that, you know, first of all, there's there's more teams in college. Fans really feel identified with the school. Like, you know how the school can become your identity. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Husky for a life. I'm a Bulldog for life. I'm this for life. I'm that for life. And then you have more stability in coaching in the in the college ranks, really. With whereas with WNBA coaches, they seem to kind of come and go sometimes. And um, actually, so do the rosters. You know, in college, you have you know maybe this is part of it too. I don't know, but in college, women stay for all four years, and so you have that. But in the WNBA, some teams are just trying to trade up every single year, and so who knows? Maybe that's part of it. Maybe some fans feel like they can't really stay with the team because there's so much change. Also, on the marketing tip. Some W, maybe one or two WNBA teams will go and cross over and try to get college fans to WNBA games or they'll go to college games in the offseason and promote the team or do ticket giveaways. There needs to be more of that. The WNBA could do a lot more to extend themselves and increase awareness of the league in the offseason. But typically, you know, the confetti settles and is swept off from the final championship game and then bam, the league disappears until April. So if they want to, do that. And, and there's a catch 22 is a lot of these players will leave to go overseas, but there's some that stay behind. So get those players, try to try to increase some visibility over the winter time, reach out to colleges, try to reach in and get those colleges, especially, you know, the one, Oh, we have a player on your team. If you got a hometown player, you know, but I just don't see much of that happening to be honest. It not carrying over just the level of attention and intrigue into the WNBA for a lot of these players is really disappointing. A lot of players have spoken on the record about it. There was a good Sue Bird quote I read on the topic. She said, there's a weird disconnect between college players and WNBA players in terms of how people view us. And then she noted that it seems like a lot of the fans forget we're actually the same players, mm -hmm. which I thought was was funny and a good point. 
Maya Moore, also who went to UConn more recently than Super, she wrote about the deflating feeling on the Players' oh, yeah. Tribune. Last year, that was quite an essay last year that she wrote about that. Yeah, really powerful blog entry. But as Lauren noted, Brianna Stewart leading the league in jersey sales, I think is some hope for optimism. There's still clearly a lot of work that needs to be done from a marketing standpoint. But what she's done um, individually with her personal brand, also what the WNBA has done as a league on their social media accounts and just their overall marketing campaign is promising, at least to me, with how they were able to successfully carry over her name recognition. And of course, she's proving it on the court as well by just playing tremendously already one of the better players in the league. It's just her second season. I wanted to also quote Adam Silver here. He talked about where he and the NBA has fallen short in their partnership with the WNBA, which I felt was pretty refreshing that he admitted to not doing everything the best way possible. And it shows that there may be some changes in approach here from the NBA's perspective. He said, as much as we've done in lending the league our name, the people who have been in the sports business for a long time, and I'm one of them, historically underestimated the marketing it takes to launch a new property. I like that quote. It shows humility, but more importantly, it demonstrates a capacity for the NBA to want to do a lot better because, and I'm assuming you'll agree with me, the WNBA has a really solid product and it's about time that more fans took notice. And I think that's on the WNBA and the NBA to a lesser extent to to really bring these fans in. Well, that's a great thing to bring up, Aaron. And um, I didn't hear or read about those comments from Silver, but I would definitely concur in it. Um, without trying to sound like I'm pointing any fingers, it's, it has seemed like to me and to others that the WNBA has just expected media to, you know, just happen, like coverage to just happen. But um, unfortunately, it's not that easy anymore. You have to go out and get what you want. And so if they want more exposure, more media, more whatever they want, they're going to have to go out there and get it and fight for it. And so I'm glad that somebody's realizing that. And if uh, if that's Adam Silver, that sounds great. Because another thing you just made me think of when you guys were talking here is another thing the WNBA should do is try to reach out to younger girls because a lot of younger girls who play basketball aren't even watching the league. So that would be a good place to start, you know, reach out to the kids. And I've actually posted this a, a few times, too, like during that winter off season, send some representatives from your WNBA team to high school games. Get them some T-shirts. Give them some tickets to the season opener. Do something. You know, you can you can get your word out in many ways. Yeah. So hire some fans from that city. I've said this too. Get a panel. Ask the fans from that city who know that city the best way. How is the best way to get the word out about the team of your city? They will know. Believe me, they will have great ideas, maybe even better than you have thought of yourself. But open your ears and take some take some lessons. Who knows? Reach out to the kids. Reach out to the college students. Ask the fans. Don't take them for granted. Treat the fans you do have nicely. Just stuff like that. And uh, work for it. Go get it. Don't just lay around and wait for it to happen. Those are really good ideas. I think free stuff never hurts and just good old-fashioned grassroots fan outreach I think would go a long way. 
The last thing I want to ask you, and we really appreciate your time and insight. It's been a lot of fun. I don't know why it took us until episode 98, <laughs> but I'm really glad we got to talk women's basketball here with you. The last thing I wanted to ask, there's this kind of chicken or egg debate over whether the media needs to be doing more to cover this league, and that would translate into more attention by fans and increased in attendance. Or if it's the opposite direction, that once there's more viewership on TV and more fans in seats, then that will warrant the media coverage. And I think it's a really interesting debate and one in which there is no easy answer, especially as we wind down, especially nowadays with media outlets cutting their budget. And a lot of times, WNBA coverage is one of the first things to go. Cheryl Reeve, the Lynx coach, was disappointed that none of the major Minnesota papers sent a reporter to cover the All-Star game in Seattle, and they had those three All-Stars. So that was disappointing. But if you can, and you can go into whatever depth you'd like, I know it's a really complicated question, but just give us your thoughts on that whole media coverage debate. Well, that is a heavy topic, Aaron, so I'll try to keep everybody's attention. (laughs) No, I'm just playing. no, it's a, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's a chicken and egg debate. And it's kind of no use to me in debating all that stuff. Like, why fight about it? Why not just jump in and try to solve it? On the media side, as usual, I can see all the sides. On the media side, the internet has been putting newspapers out of business ever since its rise. So, so for a good seven to eight years now, you know, there's been layoffs, newspaper closures. So there definitely is less media out there to cover everything from sports to business to politics to everything. Newspapers are just dying because of the internet. So there, you know, I know Cheryl Reeve criticized, I believe it was the Star Tribune for not sending anybody, but they just may not have the budget to send anybody, to be honest. So I understand that. And the papers would have, like the LA Times has shown up to one Sparks game this year. um, And which is not cool, but, um, they maybe they have budgetary issues too. You know, it's easy to say that they don't care, but maybe they really don't have anybody. So I don't know. I don't tend to know. So there is that. And then on the league side, the, from the league's point of view, I know they feel like they've tried to reach out to media for the last two years. They've been doing these media pregame phone calls, which has been really awesome. You know, give a ch- give you a chance to talk to the players before a major game, so you can write a story. So they have been trying, and so maybe they feel like. Well, they've been doing all this stuff and nobody's responding. So, damn it, what are we going to do now? And we're so frustrated and stuff. So, boy, I don't know. As far as solutions, I mean, because, you know, there's it's both sides of the table. But if I were the WNBA, and I've written this before, too, take a look at the great coverage that you do have. Like for me, for instance, and from some of my uh, – I have some great colleagues out there that write some wonderful things out there, too, as well. Pump it up. Don't sit there and nitpick whether or not it came from ESPN or not. If it's a good story, pump it up. You know, there's plenty of good writers that don't write for ESPN or whoever you think is the hot news. Pump up the stories. Pump up what you get. And and all that, give some back scratches to people that do write for you. And believe it or not, they're going to want to write more. And the word will probably get out and everybody will see the coverage that you do get and go, well, yeah, okay, so what is it about these players? And what is it about this team? And maybe I should look into it too and stuff. I guess probably the long answer to your short question is probably just a little bit of both. If you sit around and complain about this and that, it's better to just take action. Complaining is not really going to get you anywhere. So go go down to the newspapers, you know. I don't know. Do the, does the WNBA send 
the LA Times or whatever other newspaper doesn't cover their team? Do they send out regular press releases to them? Do they call them up and invite them down? You know, shoot, bribe them. I don't know. Just say, yeah, we'll give you free alcohol in your seat on press row if you come to this game. I mean, hey, be a saleswoman or a salesman. You know what I'm saying? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for doing your part in writing those stories, shining a light on all the players in the league, what's going on on the court and off. It's been a pleasure to read your stuff, but also just to have you on the show. Thank you again. Well, hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hopefully, you know, won't see you, you know, um, on episode 196. Maybe it'll be more like, you know, episode 128 next time, right? But um, Yeah, (laughs) we won't make you wait that long. No, but yeah, and and then uh, on the series tip, yeah, uh, I really do appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you guys about this. I love basketball. I uh, eat, sleep, and breathe basketball, and I also do have several other um, wonderful colleagues out there that if you want to interview them, I'm sure they would love to talk about some hoops as well. But thanks for having me. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the season. Playoffs are going to be fun. You betcha. Take care, guys.